Well, it's good to be with you today. It's an honor to be with you today. Um, I've, I've been privileged to travel across the pond to be with the people of God, and today I'm privileged to travel across town to be with the people of God. And it's a blessing to be with you. I'll tell you the most important thing about me is that I'm married to Laura, and, uh, and I got five really amazing kids, the oldest of which just got married and the youngest of which just started first grade. So y'all pray for us. Um, my name's Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Temple Bible Church. And uh, Danny Cunningham, our executive pastor, said he'd visited with Nathan and asked would I be willing to come and, and be with Renewal for a Sunday. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story so that we can kind of engage in the whole story. I didn't know the whole story. I became a believer right before my 17th birthday in July of 1991. And for about six and a half years, I got really involved in church. I got connected in Bible study. I was memorizing scripture. I was giving. Um, I, I was trying to learn what it meant to be a disciple. But there was just this great vision in Scripture that I was missing. And, and my Christianity really just revolved around me. January 2nd of 1998, I changed. I was at a conference called Passion Conference. It was the second Passion Conference. There were about 5,000 students gathered in Austin, Texas. And I was sitting there in Austin, Texas, and a guy said, I'm going to start a verse. And... When you finish it, and I thought I knew how the verse went, but I didn't really know. And it was a real simple thing. It wasn't a, a, anything amazing that he said. It was just really simple exercise. But when he said it for me, I began to see things in Scripture that I had not seen before. They were always there. My eyes just had not been opened to them. And so, uh, so we'll, we'll do that today. I, I'm going to start a verse, audience participation time. And, and you finish it. Okay, so the verse is, Be still. So that's great. That's exactly, I said exactly what most of you said. Then the people started mumbling something after, and I kind of laughed, and I thought, they don't, it's Psalm 4610. They don't know. Let's try it again. Be still. See, it was the weirdest thing. There's like 5,000 of us, and I did what all of you did. And then there's these people mumbling. And I leaned over the person next to me, and I said, it's Psalm 4610. They, they, they don't know Psalm 4610. I kind of laughed. And the guy said, would you open your Bibles to Psalm 4610? So would you open your Bibles or your apps? We didn't have apps back in 1998. Would you open your Bibles or apps to Psalm 46? And let's just read Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And then that man, Jeff Lewis, who's now a good friend of mine, said most of you missed half the verse, and it could be that many of you are missing half the story. God has a purpose and a plan to be exalted in all the nations, and it's what the whole Bible is about. And then he began to explain to us what he meant. And I began in ways that I had not seen before to see the whole story. It's why 13 years ago I became the missions pastor at Temple Bible Church. It's why I'm a teaching pastor at Temple Bible Church now so that Jesus will be worshipped among 
all the nations. So we don't have enough time to look throughout the Scripture. We've got about 40 minutes. But we'll look at a few passages where we can kind of see this thread that goes throughout the Scripture. See what the Bible is all about, namely the worship of God among all the nations. So if we're going to tell the whole story, we'll start in the beginning at Genesis 1. God makes Adam and Eve in His image, and He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's this vision of God's glory through His image bearers, Adam and Eve. The image of God spreads over all the earth. His glory is reflected over all the earth. Habakkuk 2.14 talks about what it will look like at the end of days. There's coming this day when the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. That's not what the earth looks like right now. It's profoundly broken. But the day's coming. Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and multiply. They had two jobs. They were to be fruitful. They were to till the land and they were to have kids. And these kids were to spread the image of God over all the earth. Well, the fall happened. Adam and Eve sinned. They believed the serpent. They were deceived. They didn't believe God. And so death entered the world through sin, and literally death just kept entering the world. The first guy ever born murdered his brother. And it kept getting worse until the intent of man's heart was only evil all the time, according to Genesis 6. So God brought judgment. He flooded the world, except for Noah and his family. And then God, post-flood, says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you would think, okay, we're starting over. This is going to go better, but it didn't go better. The people didn't fill the earth. If you go from Genesis 9 to Genesis 11, I promise we won't go through the whole Bible this slow, okay? <laughs> so in Genesis 11, the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and the people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we make, make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. They're saying very clearly, we're going to disobey God. We'll make a name for ourselves. We are not going to fill the earth. So the Lord, Genesis 11:8, scattered them from there over all the earth. He confused their language. As they're being scattered, there's this one guy, though, that God chooses, that God calls in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, what John Stott said were the most important three verses in the Bible. The Lord says to this guy, Abram, who would become Abraham, the father of Israel, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. The people in Babel wanted to make their name great, and God said no. But He says to Abram, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Well, how in the world are all the nations on earth going to be blessed through Abram? Well, God's going to create a missionary family. And so that's what God does. Miraculously, old Abram and Sarah, who become Abraham and Sarah, they have a son named Isaac. And guess what? Isaac says, or guess what God says to Isaac? He says, 
I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. It seems like God wants to bless the nations. Well, then Isaac has two children, Esau and Jacob the deceiver. Jacob wrestles with God. He walks away with a limp. God speaks to Jacob, and he says to Jacob, very similar to what he said to his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, all peoples, same word in Hebrew, nations, peoples, tribes, tongues on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So God is going to use this family to bless the nations. Well, this family goes into Exodus. See, Jacob's son Joseph, he sent into Egypt. His brothers mean it for evil. God means it for good. And they prosper in Egypt. Jacob dies. Joseph dies. There raises up a Pharaoh that doesn't know Joseph. And the people go into slavery for 400 years, just like God told Abram they would do. And so in slavery, Exodus 1-7, it finally says the people are doing what God told them to do. It says that they were fruitful and multiplied. There were so many of them that Pharaoh was afraid. So they go... Uh, Through this ordeal with Pharaoh, Moses brings the ten plagues on Egypt and they go into the Exodus and there's a law that they're given, the Ten Commandments. Well, why is Israel given the Ten Commandments? They're given the Ten Commandments so they'll know how to walk in God's ways, but also so that the nations will know that the God of Israel is the true and living God. I've taught you my decrees, laws, as the Lord my God commanded me. Why? Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. God's plan is that the nations will know and see that He's God. In fact, we're told that's the very reason He raised Pharaoh up. Pharaoh's heart is hardening toward the Lord over and over and over. In Exodus 9.16, God says to Pharaoh through Moses, I've raised you up for this very purpose. Here's why you became the king of Egypt. So that I might show you my power that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Israel goes to the wilderness to worship. Pharaoh and his armies follow suit. God opens the sea. The Israelites cross through on dry land. The Egyptians are swallowed up. And Rahab the prostitute says to the spies, We've heard of your God, and we stand in dread or in awe of Him. Global evangelization is happening because Pharaoh was raised up. Well, if you continue to look through Ruth, this kinsman redeemer, right? This Jewish man marries a Gentile bride and rescues her. It seems like God is telling a story throughout the Old Testament. And we could look in Joshua, we could look in Judges. We're going to jump ahead to the life of Daniel or life of David, rather. So David's a shepherd boy. His brothers are out watching with all Israel as they're afraid to fight Goliath. And David goes, and we know he's not afraid. And so, kind of when I heard this story growing up, I thought, be like David, be like David, kill the giants. What I didn't understand is that I'm like Israel, right? I'm afraid of the giants, but there's a second and better David who's going to come and slay the giants of sin and death. He is going to kill them forever, and he's going to rescue me, not by man's ways, but by God's ways. So David picks up these stones, and Goliath laughs at him. 
And then David says, God's going to deliver you to me this day. Why? I'm, I'm bad with a clicker. Y'all forgive me. He says, this day I will strike you down and I'll feed your body to the birds of the air. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, God's going to have his fame spread among all the earth. Then David started writing songs like Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations. Or Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Then you go into stories like Daniel and the lion's den. So I would Read the story and think, be like Daniel, be like Daniel. But I'm not like Daniel. I have these idols I worship. In fact, my heart is a factory for idols. But Daniel prayed, and the faithfulness of God was shown. And the mouths of lions were closed, and the king said that everyone must worship the God of Daniel. From all the provinces that that I rule over. You worship the God of Daniel. He's a true and living God. None can stay His hand. No one can stop His power. And the fame of God continues to spread to the nations. Israel didn't get this well. And consistently, they're rejecting God's ways. They're rebelling against God's ways. They're turning from Him. And they're failing at their vocation. They're failing at their vocation. And they're failing at their vocation because their vision is too small. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaking to his servant and about his servant, he says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles. Why? So that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It seems like God is telling this whole grand story throughout the Old Testament. You can see it in Zechariah 9, where Israel is going to be a light to the nations, that people are going to come from everywhere to worship God. Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, When foreigners come into this house and worship you, may they see your goodness, may they see your grace. Israel was to be a light for the nations. They failed at their vocation. When you think about the nations today, let's talk about the nations today as we think about the whole story, and then we'll look at the New Testament for just a little bit. In Israel, that, this would be the Gentile tribes around them, the Gentile nations that surrounded them that they were often warring against. And then it became the Babylonians where, where God's people were sent into captivity where in Jeremiah 24, God says, There I'll give them a heart to know me. Or it could have been Persia or Greece or in the Roman Empire. For us, when we think about the nations of people that don't know the gospel, you can kind of categorize them into five religious blocks or five groups represented here. And, and an easy way to remember that is, is using the acronym THUM. It's T for tribal. They're tribal peoples who worship their ancestors or they worship literal wooden idols. And there are many tribal peoples in Africa, some places in Asia, in Papua New Guinea. There's the tribal. That's the T in thumb. The H, 
The H is Hindus, 1.3 billion people in India that worship this pantheon of gods that can't save. The H in thumb is, is Hindu. The U in thumb, we used to say it's the C in China turned sideways. It's really for unreligious, right? And so that used to be largely in China. Now there are places in the West that that's true. But one large group of people are people who believe that there is no God. They're unreligious. The M is, of course, for Muslim. Many of the unreached people groups among the nations are are Muslims who who are held captive to this deceptive teaching that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. And then the B is, of course, Buddhist people in in Japan, um, people in other areas of the East that embrace really Buddhism, not an actual religion, but more a form of self-worship through meditation. And Israel was to reach the nations, and the church now is to reach the nations. This was true Beginning in Jesus' ministry, Jesus came to restore the broken ones of Israel, but two-thirds of His miracles were done among the Gentiles. And we could look over and over and over in Jesus' ministry where He sees that the gospel is going to the nations when He says He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. When He says He has many sheep who are not of this fold, and they must come in also. In Matthew 24... His disciples asked him, what shall be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And man, if there's ever been a day where we were saying, Jesus, come quickly, that's today, right? What shall be the sign of your coming? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If we love the coming of Christ, we ought to be teaching the gospel to all the nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says He has all authority over all nations, that we're to make disciples and teach them all that He has commanded. And He'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. Well, that that word, all nations, in Matthew 28, it's pantata ethne, all peoples, all languages. It's not geopolitical entities. Some geopolitical... Political entities are homogenous. They're one people group. But when we hear nations and we think Nigeria, there's 431 language groups in Nigeria. I went to Indonesia in 2008 with two uh, TBC missionaries to do surveys of people who had no gospel witness among them. So we're on three islands among ten peoples or people groups or nations. So when Jesus says, go to the nations, it's to all peoples. Or as he says to his disciples right before his ascension. You shall be my witnesses. The word we get martyr from, my martyria in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this story that God began in the Old Testament, He continues to tell through the incarnation, the death, resurrection of Jesus. But then when Jesus begins to send out His apostles post-resurrection as they're sent out, we see this same story playing out, Paul Paul says, through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. We want to call people from among all the Gentiles. So the gospel came all the way over to Texas because Paul had this vision 
to take the gospel to all the Gentiles so that we might embrace what Romans 1.5 says, the obedience of faith, that our lives would be transformed by the power of God through Jesus Christ who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and gives life, new life, transform life to all who believe. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He says he has an ambition. He says, I've always made it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So Paul says that to the Romans. Paul's trying to go to Spain. He's trying to go west to Spain because the gospel's not there yet. He wants to go. He doesn't make it in his lifetime. The gospel makes it because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, right? But Paul didn't make it. It was his ambition, his heart's desire to preach the gospel where it was not known. So he wouldn't be laying on someone else's foundation. Well, where is the gospel not known today? Some of you know this. Many of you have heard of it. It's the 1040 window. It's latitude, longitude. Um, it's latitude or longitude, rather. I, I, I get them confused. I never remember which. But it's 10 north to 40 north. And it's a section that runs from the western coast to North Africa all the way, all the way through Indonesia to Japan. And in the 1040 window, you've got two-thirds of the world's people and a third of the world's land. And in the 1040 window is the heart of tribal religions, Hinduism, the unreligious, Muslims, and Buddhists. If we can do this, this little area right here in this little circle, more people live in that circle in the world than live outside that circle in the world. And there, it's where 95% of the least reached peoples on the planet live. It's where 80% of the poorest of the poor live. The majority of the people in the world who are illiterate live there. There's spiritual darkness and there's physical darkness. Now, what, when we say unreached or least reached, what does that mean? You might hear that and go, oh yes, I have neighbors who are unreached. No, you don't. You have neighbors who are lost. There's a difference. If you live in Belton, Texas, or Temple, Texas, or Troy, Texas, or Academy, Texas, if you don't know Jesus here, either you've rejected the gospel thus far, or your neighbor who knows the gospel hasn't told you. So in America, there's one Christian worker for every 2,300 people. In Iran, there's one Christian worker for every 750,000 people. It used to be one for every two million, but the church in Iran is growing. In America, there's one Christian worker for every 2,300 people. In Mexico, it's something like one Christian worker for every 2,500 people. In Vietnam, it's one Christian worker for every million people. So what that means is living in America and trying to share the gospel in America, it might be like if you said, hey, Chase, would you go to Heidenheimer and share the gospel, and you're the only one, right? Now, that'd be hard. You're the only Christian worker there. That would be hard, but I'd go, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. And in Iran, it would be like saying, hey, Chase, could you and another person go to Austin and share the gospel with the city, and you're the only Christian workers there. So there's a difference between being 
lost and unreached. Unreached is less than 2% evangelized. There's no ability for there to be a sustained church there right now. Un unengaged means there's no gospel witness. And the vast majority of unreached and unengaged peoples in the world live inside this window, and there aren't any easy fields left, right? This is where the world is, and God will be worshipped among the nations. See, Paul said in, in Galatians 3, this is the purchase that solidifies that promise to Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. He redeemed us from the law, Jesus, he died and purchased us out of, out of this sin debt we owed to the law. He gave us a new life through his resurrection. Why? In order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So where is it headed? Jesus didn't die to make much of us. He died to graciously enable us to make much of him among the nations. This is headed somewhere. It's headed to the worship of God from the people purchased by Jesus from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song. You, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's where this is headed, and that's the whole story. So what do we do? What do we do with this information? What do we do with information, and how are we going to reach the nations? I want to show you all my truck. Y'all pray for us. They're not paying us much over at TBC these days, right? So this is my truck. I really, really like it. I'm thinking about doing some updates to it. But if I said to you today, hey, let's go to Canada, can we take my truck? What, what would you say? Not a, not a good idea, right? If you wanted to go to Canada, this truck wouldn't get you there. If you wanted to go 10 feet and you worked really, really hard, right, this truck would get you there. But if you wanted to go to Canada, you'd need a different vehicle, right? So when you think about all these people that are unreached, where there's illiteracy, where there's hunger, where there's poverty, where there's the heart of human trafficking, where human slavery exists on large scale today. There are all kinds of people doing all kinds of good things, but there's something more that's needed, and it's what God chose. God chose the church as the vehicle to take the gospel to the nation. The church is the vehicle God chose to declare His glory among the nations. So Temple Bible Church, Renewal Church, other churches in our area, church families in Rwanda, in Ukraine, in Botswana, possibly even you. This week I smiled and shed tears over the same people, Justin and Jennifer Decker. You might even know the Decker. Justin and Jennifer came to me when I was a global outreach pastor at TBC about eight years ago. Justin worked for PDI, was getting out of the army. Jennifer stayed at home mom, schooling their kids. And they said, we think God might be calling us to missions. And over eight years, they just began to pray. They began to consider. They began to take courses. They began to work. They began to look at mission agencies. And, 
And Thursday, they got on an airplane and it flew. And Saturday, they landed in Bangkok, Thailand as long-term missionaries. God wants to use the church. Now, it's taken a lot of people to send them. Some are praying for them. Some are giving financially. But the church is the vehicle God uses to take His name to the nations. And as we go, we're... We're an answer to the prayer of Jesus. You remember at the end of Matthew 9, Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. Now you understand this picture? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is saying, Ask my dad to send workers into the field, right? So if you want to know what to pray, you want a prayer that God will answer, if Jesus says pray it, God's probably going to answer it, right? Ask my dad to send workers into the field. The harvest is still plentiful, and the workers are still few. Well, how do we do this? The church, the church persuades with her words and amazes with her works. In the Old Testament... God's people persuaded with their words, and they amazed with their works. Jesus Christ persuaded with His words. The people were astonished. They marveled. No one ever spoke like this man, and He amazed with His works. The disciples persuaded with their words and amazed with their work. A friend of mine named Tim moved to a nation on the Arabian Peninsula. He's an ophthalmologist. He went there, and as he went there, he, um, he's going to work at that hospital, and he'll make a decent living, but not what he would make as an ophthalmologist in the United States. And just his very presence there amazed people. In fact, there's a Syrian physician who walked up to him the first day he was there, and he thought, is anybody going to talk to me about Jesus? Will anybody ask me, will I get to share his first day on the job? This Syrian doctor says, Excuse me, you are an eyeball doctor from the United States? And he said, yeah, that's correct. And you're, you're a surgeon and you're allowed to practice? Yes. Can I ask why you moved to this nation? His first day. Well, yeah, let me, let me tell you. And right there on the Arabian Peninsula, he's sharing the gospel with a friend. He's been doing it for 12 years. The guy was amazed that he would move, and so he persuaded with his words. Well, what about me? So why, why should I right here in Belton, Temple, Texas, why should I be involved and how can I be involved? We've got about 10 minutes to, to look at that. So let's look at that and let's talk about it. Why? Well, it's, it's why we're blessed. It's who we are. It's worth what it costs. And it's worship. It is why we are blessed. One of the, one of the verses we looked at was Psalm 67. Verse 1, Psalm 67, 1 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Why? So that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. We are blessed to be a blessing. God says to Abram, I'll make your name great so that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we are blessed beyond belief, beyond what most people in most cultures in the history of the world have ever known. Solomon, richest man on earth, could have never imagined a day when he could be riding with, we'll just say his wife, so we don't dive into all the details of that, right? 
He's riding with his wife and in their nicest chariot. His temperature's set on what he wants. Hers is set on what she wants. The kids in the back, they've all got different systems they're listening to, looking at, watching. They're all comfortable. They've got their air stuff. He could have never imagined that. And today we call that a 2015 Honda Odyssey, right? <laughs> we are blessed beyond belief, and we're blessed to be a blessing. It's not just why we're blessed. It's, it's who we are. It's who we are. I read, a, read an article the other day about a shark attack in California that happened in June of this year. A great white shark bit a surfer. The surfer lived. Cable news... Um, Internet news articles are written on why the shark bit the guy. And everybody wonders why the great white shark bit the guy, right? Listen, I grew up in Deweyville, Texas. I wasn't a math major, okay? I'm never the smartest guy in the room. My business card says often wrong, but never in doubt, okay? But I can tell you why the shark bit the guy. It's because it's a shark, right? That's what sharks do when they're swimming home from work and they see their friends. How you doing? Oh, great. Bit a surfer. Thought he was a seal, right? That's just what sharks do. See, Jesus was looking not at religious leaders, not at the Pharisees and Sadducees, but common people, working class folks on a hillside one day. And he said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. No one lights a a candle and puts it under a basket. You wouldn't light a candle and stick it in a drawer. That would burn your house down. But you let your light shine in such a way that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, you might do that in Botswana, or you might do that in Belton. At, at TBC, we went and, and visited Atlanta as a staff. And, and part of our time there, we visited with Chick-fil-A to learn about serving because they have that down. As we're walking through the corporate offices of Chick-fil-A, this bald guy sticks his head out and says, are y'all the church group? And we looked up, and there's Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. He says, won't you guys come into our meeting for a little bit? I'm thinking, yes, Lord, let him give us waffle fries for life, right? <laughs> so Dan Cathy brings us in, and he says, I want you to know we exist at Chick-fil-A the same reason that you exist. You guys understand. You guys know Matthew chapter 5, it says, let your light shine in such a way that people eat your waffle fries and glorify your Father in heaven. <laughs> we loved it. See, he understands that we exist for the glory of God. It's who we are. It's why we're blessed. It's who we are. It's worth what it costs. Billions of dollars are spent every year for you and me to buy stuff that's just not worth what it costs. I read an article Friday about a girl writing to Dear Prudence. You forgive me for reading that stuff, right? She's writing, Dear Prudence, my, my boyfriend bought me ruby earrings and he broke up with me and he wants them back. I don't know what to do because three weeks after he gave them to me, I lost them. <laughs> and I bought new ones that I paid for. He doesn't know. I don't want to give them back. So... Boyfriend spent money, he thinks it's not worth what it costs. The girlfriend spent money, it's not worth what it costs. And I thought, man, isn't that a picture of us having the newest and latest and greatest? But going and giving and serving and loving in the name of Christ is worth what it costs 
and more. And then finally, it's worship. This is worship that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Like the Moravians who got in their boats to go away from their home, they packed all their stuff in coffins, and they screamed back to their families praying for them as they left, may the Lamb receive the reward of His suffering. They understood that missions is worship. Probably the greatest book in mission, on missions in the 20th century begins like this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. See, all over America, but then all over the 1040 window in an even greater way, God's robbed of glory. Worship isn't happening. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. There's a day when missions will stop. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we aim to bring nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. There would be little renewals all over the villages of Afghanistan and Pakistan and Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the peoples praise you. But worship is not just the goal of missions, it's the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer to God in preaching. You can't commend to people who don't know what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who can't say in their heart, I rejoice in the Lord. Missions begins and ends in worship. That's why you ought to be involved. Well, how could you be involved? Four ways very quickly. It's go, send, pray, or learn. And you see these things and you think, oh, thank God for send, pray, or learn, because I'm not called to missions. Well, let me just ask you, let me ask you, if anybody here, if you, if you walked into Walmart and saw the newest, latest, and greatest iPhone or that folding Samsung or whatever you really wanted, do you need to hear a voice from God to know not to steal that? Anyone? We're in church. The answer is no, okay, right? You, you don't, no, you don't need a voice because you've, you've got a verse, Right? Well, when, when you're sitting in traffic and that person in front of you, they're in the left lane driving 35 and a 80, right? And you, you hear a voice going, just run into them, just run into them. <laughs> you know that's not the voice of God. You, but you, you don't need a voice from God to know not to do that. That's a bad idea. You don't need a voice because you've got a verse. Well, Jim Elliott, who was martyred among the Aka Indians, he said, why do you need a voice when you've got a verse? We've got this green light to take the gospel to the nations. And God is God, so He actually might call you to go. Well, Chase, it's not that I'm not called, it's that I'm not gifted. Well, listen, you don't, you don't have to be gifted to be great at missions. You have to be a person whose character in Christ is developed and consistent. Some of the greatest missionaries that ever lived said, if people talk about me, don't, don't let them say I was gifted. Let them say I could plod. I could just do this over and over and over for the glory of Jesus. You can go, you can send. 
you can see an average Western missionary has about 100 families sending that missionary. So you can give strategically. You can look at your income and go, man, we've got some extra here. We're going to give this for the sake of Christ among the least reach. Or you might go, oh, we don't have extra. We're going to sacrifice. We'll do away with cable or, or some streaming service. Or, or we'll stop, stop getting coffee out. God forbid, right? I don't want to get radical. I know. We'll, but we'll do what it takes to send. You can, you can pray. You can pray. Samuel Zwimmer, who gave his life among the Saudi people for the sake of the gospel, said the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. And then finally, you can, you can learn. You can learn. There's a book called Operation World. You can get it and pray for a different nation every night as a family, over supper, every morning, over breakfast. You can learn about the nations and begin to pray for the nations. We can go, send, pray, or learn. But I realized January 2nd, 1998, I was indifferent to the cause of Christ among the nations. My indifference was because of ignorance. I didn't know. But once I knew, I could no longer be indifferent. Life has to be about the worship of God among the nations because one day, the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. So I've got a friend named Tobin Miller. Tobin was a missionary in Hong Kong and China. And Tobin loves the whole story. But Tobin would tell you, he didn't always understand the story. He didn't always know it. He came to understand it when he was in college. When Tobin was in college, he was a tight end at the University of, Aus- uh, of Auburn. And at Auburn at that time, there was a guy named Bo Jackson, a pretty good football player that was a running back. And I always say, my friend Tobin blocked for Bo Jackson, and Tobin goes, no, no, I didn't. I sat on the bench while another guy blocked for Bo Jackson. I wasn't good enough. And see, here's the reality for us. God didn't save us, and He didn't call us, and He didn't tell us to make disciples because we're good enough, right? Right? He did it because we've been redeemed, we've been saved, we've been changed by the power of God because Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose from the dead to bring people to God from among all the nations. So so the call to us is to get in the game if you're not in the game. 